Hi everyone, welcome to Off She Goes, a podcast that features conversations with Gen Z girls of color who are making bold moves and changing the world. I want to discuss a few things before I introduce this week's guest. Um, first and foremost, I want to honor the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and so many more Black folks we don't know whose lives were taken due to police brutality, white supremacy, and racism. Um, I stand with the Black Lives Matter movement. This is also a reminder that this is not a trend or a moment. Let's keep this momentum going. Keep signing petitions. Keep donating if you can. Follow Black educators and activists. There are so many free and accessible resources online, so I don't want to hear any excuses. Um, It's also important to do the work offline and have uncomfortable conversations with your family and relatives. Um, The fight doesn't end here. Let's continue to raise awareness about these issues and let's keep standing up for the Black community today and every day. Um, This podcast episode was recorded two weeks ago and during that time the news about George Floyd's death was still quite fresh. Uh, I don't think the protests were happening that time yet. Um, A lot of the things we discussed in this episode relates to activism, organizing, and just the kind of systems we have in the country. And even though that's the case, it still didn't feel right for me to upload this episode last week. Um, a myriad of things happened and more new information were revealed since the since we recorded um, the episode. I also didn't want to divert the conversation, especially since there were more pressing issues to discuss. Um, last thing I want to address, which is not related to current events, is that I'm changing my upload day. Instead of Mondays, I'll do Wednesdays from now on. I'm quite busy this summer and Wednesdays just work better with my schedule. Those are the important things I want to first talk about. I know this episode is a long one, so now I'll introduce this week's guest. Iman Abdul is an activist, organizer, storyteller, and creative based in New York City. We actually worked together in Global Girlhood, so that's how I met her. In this episode, Iman shared what it was like growing up with a multifaceted identity in modern-day America, how she merges art and storytelling in her activism, how she campaigned for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, how she designed a shoe for Nike, and how she established Integrate NYC, which is an organization that stands for equity in New York City schools. Um, And yeah, without further ado, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hi, Mon. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Can you give our audience like a little bit of background about yourself first? Sure. So my name is Iman Abdul. I am 22 years old. I attend the City College of New York, and I'm studying sociology. Aside from that, uh, I'm an activist, an artist, and a creative. I am a founding member of a youth-led organization called Integrate NYC, where we, the youth, design the real solutions to integrating um, and desegregating our schools. And I also do some PR work for Global Girlhood, which is another um, digital platform that revolutionizes the way that women are storytelling globally. And then I also do PR work for another nonprofit, um, which is the Period NYC chapter, part of the larger period movement started by Nadia Okamoto. Um, And yeah, we're we're all about menstrual equity and ending the tampon tax Mm -hmm. and fighting for period equity. Um, And I kind of want to start first, like a little bit about like your like the beginning of your journey? Because um, what was it like growing up? Because you're Lebanese, Puerto Rican, American, um, and you grew up in Brooklyn. So what was that like? Wow, it was, it was extremely difficult navigating my identity. Um, 
being half Puerto Rican and half Lebanese, I never knew how to identify myself in different spaces. Um, so like for starters, when I was in elementary school, I did not go to the elementary school that was on the corner of my block. Mm-hmm. Like my mom like fought to put me in a gifted and talented program in a predominantly white elementary school that was about like 20 minutes away from me just because that's where the better education was. And me being so young, I I didn't like know any better and I'm navigating these spaces. All these students don't look like me. Teachers don't look like me. Curriculums don't reflect neither of my identities. So I'm so lost in trying to, to see how do I like fit in. Um, and at first I was just very neutral. I never like really politicized my identity until I started getting older and actually though when I was nine years old I put on the hijab so that was also a whole different like experience yeah in middle school or like third grade I wasn't wearing it but fourth grade I was mm-hmm. and the way that I was looked at by teachers the way I was looked at by students um just the type of friends I made but also I feel like my own insecurities I felt like oh, people are looking at me weird, like, people are not going to want to talk to me, like, and I would just have, like, one or two friends and stay, like, quiet, mm-hmm. um, and, yeah, it's just always been really difficult trying to see, like, how do I identify when none of the spaces I was in really reflected that, but right. when I was in the fifth grade, I actually moved to the Middle East, and really? I lived in Lebanon, yeah, and I went to um the fifth grade there and it was different because everybody there is Lebanese all the girls there wore the hijab for school it was mandatory um and so I I I didn't feel I thought that I I take this back I thought that I wouldn't feel too like out of the blue but I still did I'm an American yeah. And now when you come as an American to your your homeland, mm-hmm. they look at you in a whole different way. They're like, oh yeah, this girl's not from here. Mm-hmm. And me being half Puerto Rican, they're like, yeah, this girl's not from here. Mm-hmm. Like she's mixed. And um, it was funny because the friends that like I actually made, one of my best friends was half Colombian and half Lebanese. So we were able to relate a lot mm-hmm. Um, And that's who I got along with or like my friends whose parents all worked in America. So they all spoke English. Right. They were able to connect to my American identity. And that's how I was able to have friends. And then I had, then when I moved back, right. And then, and I went to middle school Uh um, and then I was in a predominantly black and Latinx middle school. Mm-hmm. where we walked through metal detectors, where Black students were suspended at unproportional rates, mm-hmm. um, when teachers would just kick students out of class all the time as if that was a solution. And it was an entirely different environment from the past two environments I was in. And that's when I started getting more into what does it mean to be Puerto Rican in order to identify with these people? Right. And and that became a, a whole exploration for me in in learning about about fifty percent of of my other identity because mm-hmm. um, sometimes I forget like in, yeah. in between choosing and so 
that school was also an entirely different experience. It was the first time I had a black teacher, it was in the seventh grade. Um, and then after I graduated that high school, my mom did not want me to go to um, the high school I wanted to go to, which was a performing arts school that was also predominantly black and Latinx. She wanted me to go to the math and science school that was predominantly mm -hmm. white because that was the school that had the reputation. Um, and so when I ended up at that school, the first place I'm looking for is where are the Latinx kids? because that that was my my past three three years of experience with them so now this is what I'm craving now where where is my community yeah yeah and I remember like first looking for the um like the Latino club and it didn't it barely existed like there were like three girls that were seniors that were running it and I was a freshman mm -hmm. and all they did was like perform at a parade and then that was it like it was a wrap for the whole year and I was, I remember feeling like so devastated because I'm like, wow, how am I going to learn about myself now? And I couldn't really rely on my mother because my mother had assimilated. My mother had converted to Islam, had assimilated into the expectations and culture right. of my father. So I can only take so much from my mom. Mm -hmm. um, and then it wasn't until like my sophomore year that I met three Latinx boys and us four were like the gang. And we I like took over school. Like we always yes. stuck with each other. Um, and then junior year, we like established the Hispanos Unidos Club. And it still exists to this day where, where like all of that's the amazing. Latinx students in the high school, like that's their cultural club. That's their safe space. Um, and our AP teacher at the time, which was also my first Latinx teacher ever in wow, the 10th grade. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I had my first Latinx teacher ever in the 10th grade. Um, and she was like the advisor for our club and she still is, um, Miss Arceniegas. And she is really who put me on to using my voice. And yeah. And then after that, that I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite and least favorite thing about having like a multifaceted identity, especially right now in like current day America? So the pros are that I can be able to relate and connect to so many different identities and cultures um, mm -hmm. where like, it's just like beautiful. Like I just feel like I'm like a beautiful tie, like right in the middle and I can like lean left and right um, and be supportive and allies of both. And um, that's like what's really good. Also, like I can be a voice for multiple communities instead of just like one or two communities. Right. So I have like more options to kind of like use my voice um, and be a representation. And but the cons is that now you're a double minority. You're not a single exactly. minority yeah. anymore. Now you're a double minority. And so you get double the backlash. Um, and and you get it from from both sides like i remember like going to middle school and it was only me and another student from yemen in the class and all the kids in the class were like oh osama bin laden was dead was that your dad is that your dad and like i remember me and the boy would look at each other and, and the boy would look down like he would feel so embarrassed 
and I remember just looking at these kids like like what like yeah. <laughs> like I I didn't even know like how to react because I'm like why are you telling me these things like and like growing up in New York City like after 9-11 right like, like it, right. it happened here so our like my community I live in a predominantly Arab community now and like we've been patrolled in into supermarkets and to our into our shops like literally the FBI would have undercovers like just investigating like what are these people doing um because we, we're, we're possible terrorists and it's interesting like being a double minority and experiencing I would say like prejudice from other minorities and I think like a specific example that I'm that is like keep, that keeps coming back to me is last summer I went to the Dominican Republic um and on my way back home I was with my partner and his whole family and they all went through, they're all from the Dominican Republic and they all went through. And the lady that was um, checking our tickets to let us go was a black Dominican woman. Mm -hmm. And my boyfriend is more light skinned, whatever. She let them all go. And then when it came to me, she saw that my passport had me with the hijab and that my name was Iman Ihsan Abdul Rasul. And she looked at me and she was like, no. And I looked at her like, like, so confused. Like, I remember, I remember like my heart stopped, my whole body got warm. Like, why is this baby? Like to be stopped in an airport, you have like the most like internal breakdown, the harshest internal breakdown yeah. ever. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. You know, every time like I, someone, I don't know if I don't pass through and like they check out like my passport and I'm like, panic. Like, I'm like, oh my God, please. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like literally panic mode and uh-huh. I'm like, what, like what is it like and and like she was trying to say like oh there's no date on your ticket mind you my partner printed out my ticket with with his so I was yeah, so isn't confused. it the exact like, same thing yeah it's the exact same thing and she was like no 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 and I was just like I didn't know like what to say because I'm not gonna argue with this lady and I didn't she was holding my ticket so I couldn't even say right and then she showed it to like a man like another worker and then the guy was like the date is right there he 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 did that Gabby in less than three seconds he was yeah. like the date is right there so if it was the- in her face uh-huh. and she totally ignored it just like to belittle you and yeah Mm -hmm. just to belittle me and like I and like I snatched the paper out of her hand and like I looked at her and I like started crying because I was like no way are you going to embarrass me and like you're also a black woman like you have had struggles most likely worse yeah and 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 for you to to discriminate like now based off of somebody being Muslim or Arab, mm-hmm. like this shows like now this is minorities discriminating discriminating against minorities, and where are we going with this? Yeah. Like, like this is getting us nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I do think that getting prejudice and you know hatred, discrimination from fellow minorities is much worse than getting discrimination from white people because um unfortunately that kind of behavior is something I expect from white people and when you get that um you know behavior and experience from fellow minorities it hurts more because in my head I feel like we should be fighting together we should be standing up for one another we should be in solidarity and not putting each other down you know totally 
And like, I've also like been physically removed off of an airplane, my entire family. What was that? Wait, what, what happened? Yes. Oh my God. About three years ago, I was traveling to Lebanon. Um, Mm -hmm. It was me, my father, my sister, and like my cousins and my aunt. My father and my aunt are siblings. Mm-hmm. So um, we were all going to Lebanon, and my aunt and my father are in coach seats because my aunt is a cancer patient, mm-hmm. and then all of us kids are like in the e- economy seat. The plane is delayed, so I decide to take a nap, and they wake us up, and is like, and they're like, Iman Abdul, Aya Abdul, and they started reading all of our names, and they and they told us, and it was like three men. And it was a black man and, t- and a white woman, a, a black man, a white woman, and a white man. Mm-hmm. And they all had like, like, um, badges. And oh, they God. asked us to, to get out of the plane. What was their reason? When we got out, they started just interrogating us. They started asking us, where are we going? Who mm-hmm. are we with? How long are we going to be there for? What is the reason we're going there for? How much money did we bring? Did we bring it in cash or did we bring it in debit? Um, and it's like we bring, and then they're like, oh, like they just gave us like, then, then they're like, oh my God. Then she's like, what school do you go to? Like, and then they asked them has the audacity to say, what religion are you? I was like, are you serious? this like no way Mm -hmm. are you doing this to me and like I just remember feeling so angry like so angry like I was so embarrassed yeah it's very dehumanizing for my identity mm -hmm. for my identity that sometimes I'm like I don't want to be this anymore like and that's why like it's so and that's why sometimes you see me representing my Puerto Rican culture so much more because it doesn't give me as much as a hard time sometimes as my Arab culture and I find myself sometimes switching because mm-hmm. they they both have their pros and cons right, right. but at the end of the day I have to realize that I'm a hundred percent of yeah. both so it's so difficult something I'm still battling now let's discuss activism your activism work um so what drives you to pursue like organizing and activism like what gets you going to like fight for change my identity my identity my identity is politicized and I am a part of these communities Mm -hmm. that that are seeking the, the this change and so um definitely understanding that I come from a higher place of privilege than many others in my community, I feel like I can be a voice to mm-hmm. inspire um, other young people that, that look like me, that, that come from the same identity as me and be like, yeah, our voice does matter. Um, she's doing it and I can do it too. Um, how do you educate yourself then like with these issues and like that you're passionate about? Cause it, like, how do you stay informed and like up to date with all of this news, especially since it can be overwhelming at times. It is so overwhelming. Um, hmm. So bringing it back to identity, I think that like, first I, I just started researching questions I had about identity. And so when I first started like in the Hispanos Unidos Club, my teacher told me about who the young lords were and how they were basically the Puerto Rican Black Panthers. Um, of New York City and I'm like what like like who are these people and so just learning about that one thing 
led to so many other questions that led me to do my own personal research, ask my mother and my family questions. Um, and the more that I researched, I was like, I need to go to Puerto Rico and see this for myself. And mm -hmm. I started, that's when I started traveling solo and um, doing this research and being in, in the place um, at the same time. And so I, I do a bunch of activism work and I do consider myself a um, liberation activist for Puerto Rico being mm -hmm. that it is like a colony and um that's that's like what really drove me and and then once I like research identity it then leads to I'm a woman and what are what are the issues that women are dealing with and women of color specifically right. and just making going into broader terms and connecting with a larger community um through socials I feel like Instagram right now is the yeah. easiest way to connect you want to find something that climate change hashtag climate change like menstruation exactly. hashtag menstruation and it's that simple like you can find young people or even older people doing the the work that you're interested mm -hmm. in um and I feel like it's also so unique because we're so creative like we're creating videos we're doing art like it's not just a bunch of us sitting there talking mm -hmm. um we are we are using our platform literally to the fullest like you're doing a podcast like yeah we yeah. are literally being as unprecedented as we can um it's like wow what a perfect time to really elevate our voice our voices as as a unity no, I definitely relate to that too with following you know on Instagram on Twitter like I try to like follow people now like you know there's like a bunch of like activists and like people that I admire and just like learning from them like I try to follow academic Asian American Twitter like Filipino American Twitter and like see what their perspectives are because like it's so different from mine like coming here to the States I'm like oh wow like there's it's like this whole new community that I'm trying to like explore more and see what their like you know what their thoughts are about certain issues that are happening both here in the states and both in the Philippines how do you recharge then when um the news can like feel overwhelming and there's like a lot of negative negativity around like when there are times that you might feel hopeless how do you recharge it's a great question something that I'm still like I think discovering um but most recently and actually I can think of the last time I felt like this was three days ago oh my god these past four or five days has been like crazy it's been insane and it, it was insane to the fact that somebody messaged me this morning and was like you only posted about George's death once I expected you I expected more from you I expected you to be a voice for our community and really leverage that a lot of people look up to you and the fact that like you didn't do this and, and they went on a ramp and I blocked them. Mind you, they're totally like somebody that's been in my life for like six years. Like I like they're my like friend. And yeah. I had I fully blocked them because I was like, no way are you going to slide right. into my DMs and demand me to be a voice when that's all I am. Sometimes I, I just I'm not even over a mod's death. I just <laughs> saw a black man being shot for doing nothing. And I, I didn't even want to see the video. I put my, Insta, I shut off my yep. Instagram and I'm, I'm not talking about this yeah. because it hurts. 
Yeah, no, I've been trying to like not check social media. Like I'm trying to limit my screen time because it's been used as just like overwhelming. It's so overwhelming and like draining. It literally drains yeah. you. And, and so, and it really like makes you feel like, wow, like is the work I'm doing paying off? Like sometimes it makes you rethink that. And I hate rethinking that because like, I know that the work I do is very meaningful and intentional and purposeful, mm -hmm. but when when incidents like this keep happening it it makes me feel like wow where are we where are we getting yeah how are we moving forward when it just feels like we're moving backwards or yeah, just exactly. not even like moving period the way that i've just really been trying i just like i'm gonna acknowledge it and i'm gonna internalize it but i do not owe anybody anything yep yeah. And period. And I literally told them, I was like, you could be a voice. Exactly. I'm that regular and I'm going to take care of my mental and emotional health first because I'm not going to be in a, vo a voice when I'm not emotionally stable to be one. Right. And like, I'd rather give you 100% of me than like 30%. Mm -hmm. And if you want me to execute my work to the fullest, you're going to have to wait. Yeah. things don't like things don't they feel like people think humans are, are literally like capitalism like like things are yeah. not gonna happen <laughs> like 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 back to back like I'm not like a labor machine like <laughs> like relax yeah so how did you find like your voice then like how did you hone like your specific way of storytelling like in the way I feel like in the way you write the way you dress like the way you talk like the way you do your activism like organizing I feel like there's strong there's a strong meaning and like purpose behind it so like how did you find that how did you hone that I guess at first when I was I remember I was first asked to speak on a panel and I had never public spoken in my life like I'm like what like speak about me and I was so nervous and my mentor at the time was like who really encouraged me and was like tell your story and, and then if I wouldn't, she, she would ask me questions because she knows my story. So she'd be like, Iman, tell us about this or what about this? And then it led me to like saying, wow, my story is meaningful to people because then I have people coming up to me after these panels saying, wow, can I ask you about this? Or mm -hmm. I have a girl like, I relate to you on this. I'm, I'm also Arab American or I'm also Muslim or I'm also Latinx. I feel you. I like, just as a woman, I feel you. Like there's so many ways. Yeah. That's one of the, yeah. Connected. yeah. That's one of the things that I love about just like sharing your own stories that I feel like sometimes I'm just shouting to the void and like, no one cares about it. But then like when people, I, hear feedback or I don't know I hear comments and like I get messages saying wow thank you for sharing your story thank you for doing the work like it's just wow like that energizes me for sure yeah that's really what it is like when it's when when people give me their like reflections on whatever I just put out there it makes me feel like okay the work I'm doing is purposeful yeah. like like it meant something to you. Like, like, thank you. I only want it to mean something to one person. If one person walks out of that room internalizing what I said, that's all yeah. it is. And so like when I get DMs or like when people comment like on my posts, like I started realizing even just in terms of generating, let's say my captions, like telling my story, telling you how I feel about yeah. I certain I love it. <sighs> every time like that's like one of the things I look forward to you're an amazing writer 
Thank you so much, Gabby. Like, the fact that you even say I'm an amazing writer, I would never say that about myself. You are. Ever. Like, you are. Ever. I would be, like, writing, what is that? Like, <laughs> um, but thank you so much. Like, it's just literally hearing things like that, like, makes me feel like, okay, mm-hmm. like, this is, this yeah. is impactful. And, and I'm honored to be sharing my my words and my work with with my greater community do you think there's like a specific theme in the way you do storytelling yeah I just feel like I always relate it to identity I keep coming back to identity I always relate it to my identity and how my identity has led me to that experience Mm -hmm. um and I feel like I really I really tried to target the Latinx community first. Um, and more recently, I've been trying to, to target the Arab community or the Muslim community um, because I'm like, somebody pointed out to me, they're like, you don't really talk about Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And like, people are like, oh, I thought you're just Puerto Rican. And I'm like, okay, wait a second, guys. Like, there's another 50% of me too. And like, I understand why you're saying this. So like, let, yeah. let me t- embrace a little bit more and and teach myself a little bit more um and so it's interesting because I guess once I have those those two like direct um audiences the whole general like community of color audience is is also watching and also feels somewhat aligned or connected to what I'm saying because they're also people of color they're also children of immigrants and Mm. we're thinking about we're all we're all here um from different from different paths of life Mm -hmm. and they they we just all feel connected and I feel like that's so beautiful being a storyteller on a platform as big as Instagram so how do you merge art with activism like what's your process like in creating art piece because like you call yourself like an artivist too so how do you do that so definitely exploring different ways to story tell um and so first it could like through speaking through I also draw I just got an iPad I didn't have one of the things that I want to I want to like really uh strengthen my illustration like drawing skills and I want to like I want like an apple pen and like an iPad I don't know but yeah yeah I want to make the investment and like really try to like do that that's one of the things that mediums that I want to explore yeah totally that I I feel you on that so that's what I've been really wanting to explore and like I know if I have this technology I would be beast like I just need a practice and that's it um and so it's not the pro but it's still an iPad. Yeah, it works. It works with the pencil. So I'm so excited um, to really explore that again. Um, I also, like, love photography. I used to do a lot of photography and take a lot of um, pictures of just protests that I went to. And so I wanted to compile, like, all of the youth um, activists in New York City that are advocating for a bunch of different things. Um, and one of like my most iconic photos from one of the protests was me and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I worked on her campaign. And even while I was on that campaign, I was like, okay, let's chalk up the streets. Let's find a way on like getting our message out there and advocating for our communities. Um, let's like 
do like cool things with these posters just like in terms of fonts in terms of just being creative in in engaging people is an art yeah. is an overall art I also paint that that's like my last thing I also paint and so those, those are like yeah. all the things I'm exploring how did you get involved with um the work with AOC so my crew from high school, the three boys, one of them currently works for a New York City um, council member. Mm-hmm. And my friend is like his like assistant or like go-to man. So he's like who is in charge of meeting everybody else and setting up these appointments. So he posted on his Instagram that he had met with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. as a representative for this council member. And I was like, who is this girl? And I clicked on her, like he tagged her and I clicked on her. And then I just looked at her page and I was like, she's Puerto Rican. Oh, I need to learn more. She's Puerto Rican. That, that, that was enough to have me. And so I was, but then I was like, no, because there are Puerto Ricans that love their American colonizer. And then there are Puerto Ricans that are more Mm -hmm. into justice for our people. So I read her platform, I read her entire story, and then I watched her um, commercial, her campaign ad. And Gabby, I cried. Like, I just bawled tears, like tears. And like, her whole story, like, I felt her so hard. And like, the fact that like, her mother came from Puerto Rico, and like, she's, I was just like, yeah, this woman. I watched her, what was that? Her Netflix documentary. Yeah, I watched that quite recently. And she was just like so inspiring. And I'm just, she's going to take over like the world. I literally was there for the whole documentary. I was not on camera. Yes, for most of it, I was there. Like, I can, I thought, if I was sitting next to you and watching the documentary, I would be able to tell you every single person in that video. Oh my God. Yeah, no, that, that documentary was really great. Um, how was that was experience, incredible. like, being, like, behind the scenes? It was incredible. It, it was, like, it was, it was such, you know, it gave us, like, adrenaline. It gave us momentum. Right. And it was, like, okay, we got a documentary going. Um, then we had a truck. And we were, and we were going all around, like, um, the Bronx, like, in a truck playing like and I was connecting my phone on the aux and so there was Spanish music blasting the streets her campaign blasting the streets like interacting with community members also was just like so refreshing um because I interacted with with Puerto Rican and and Latino community mm-hmm. members and when they saw me they were like okay like like this girl like she's our people so it was yeah. refreshing for them to like not see like a a less unfamiliar face right. um and and yeah I worked on that campaign like almost every single day I live in Brooklyn and so I w- it was a two-hour train ride really? and from yeah, where to where from, from where I live in Brooklyn to okay. her campaign site in the Bronx wow yes back and forth two hours two hours front and two hours back I didn't like, know it was that far. Okay, I didn't. I don't know New York geography, so so if you were driving, it would only take like maybe forty five to an okay. hour. Okay, but because of the MTA, <laughs> I see. Okay, like and trains going local, like yeah. Okay, it, it takes 
roughly an hour 45 to two hours I see okay um also because I live at the end of Brooklyn so that's also a whole other thing but yeah so it would take me that long every day I remember like I would get there at three and I would leave there by 12 a.m and I won't get home till two and then back at it the next day and I did not get paid I did not like it was but I feel like the work is so like exciting and inspiring yeah yep it was so exciting it was so exciting because I was like wow she looks like me and she's 28 years old and she's sitting there like she I'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure that she has that seat one of the things I kind of want to experience is definitely working for like a campaign like a campaign like that yeah there are so many like progressive candidates Mm -hmm. that are like coming so I feel like that's also really exciting I feel like before there weren't really progressive candidates there was just a bunch of white people and then like that one black person and that's it like (laughs) exactly okay like can we get other options Mm -hmm. yeah and finally finally we're seeing a little change now I want to discuss cloudivism and like performative activism what are ways that we can go beyond that and not just like stop there you know by like posting something on twitter or instagram story like what more can we do what are realistic ways we can organize and really take the work to the next level i think it's definitely like having those genuine discussions and if we're going to do it by social media because right now social media is like the way to do it don't go and buy your followers in order to feel credible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, that was something that, like, really got me upset where I would see so many activists that, like, yes, you are doing the work. Yes, you are generating community and having these genuine discussions, which is what we need you to be doing, which is what we right. should all be doing. So it's like, yes, you're doing it, but then you bought your followers so that major corporations like mm-hmm. Vice like Teen Vogue can be like, oh, they have something K followers. Right. We're going to put them in an article where it's like, whoa, 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 hold up. Where are the real like organizers exactly. in the back that are like really doing this risking genuinely? Their lives, yeah. Risking their lives, like putting in all of their sweat, energy, and blood into really fighting for change. And then you guys, like, just because we don't have XK followers, right. doesn't mean we're not as like what does me more credible yeah yeah or like yeah or is valid and and so it's not that those people it's not like it's not that cultivists are necessarily doing the wrong thing because they are in terms of engaging community but not but then when it comes from a bigger perspective Mm because now they they know that they have that big platform and it's and it's how they go about it Mm -hmm. um and and how companies and and also like just institutions overall go about it and so that's something that I'm really trying to navigate on how can we get the smaller voices to really be um on these big platforms because I feel like everybody's voice is is loud and only some of them are extra loud because companies and brands and institutions pick them up and and blow them right you also partnered with um, Nike last year and you got to design your own um, Air Force One shoe. And like, how did you get that opportunity? Like, that was like a really cool, I love seeing your design. And like, how did you make that? What was the process like? Yeah, um, I designed an Air Max 200 
it no, Air was Max. when I say Air Force, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, you're all good. I love Air Force Ones anyway. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. Um, so I designed an Air Max 200. It was how this whole thing happened was I've always loved sneakers, especially being born and raised in New York in New York City. Sneaker culture is so huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a part, it's a part of our our identity and a part of who we are. And so I started, I couldn't really afford my own sneakers growing up. Um, my mom wouldn't get me like Jordans cause they were too boyish. Um, and she didn't want me wearing them. And I was like, okay. And so I wasn't able to wear Jordans until I was able to afford them on my own. And that wasn't until high school. Um, and so that's when I really started like collecting and really falling even more harder for sneakers because I'm I'm here trying to miss out on all of um I'm here trying to catch up on all of the years that I missed yeah. out. Yeah. Um and then as I kept working and 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 getting older, I started getting my own sneakers and becoming even more passionate. So I started telling my friends, like, wow, what if I like took like sneakers because I'm so passionate about them and take storytelling and make them into one and like let that be my thing like let like I feel like everybody has a thing and my whole life I've been trying to see like what's my thing Mm -hmm. um and I feel like I'm too many things so I don't have like that one um like right label and so I was like okay I guess this this could be it um and I had I was going to school pursuing um, an education major and I love education. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I wish like I would still be an educator um, in the future, but I kind of shifted gears last year and I started taking more interest into like design and mm-hmm. like maybe like communications, PR. Like I was like more like interested in that. Like how do I explore that and use storytelling in that field? Um, cause I was already over it with education. So I didn't know what to do. I broke down to my friends and our phones listened to us, Gabby. Mm-hmm. So I opened Instagram and I'm scrolling and an ad comes up that says NYC creatives wanted to tell story on Nike sneaker. Wow. The universe just like, aligned that. Yeah. Way I literally looked around. I'm like, who's watching me? Is this fake? <laughs> like, like, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> I I cannot believe it because it was not even a day after that I had just voiced this. That's it was always something I, I I said in my mind, but it's never something I said out loud. Mm-hmm. And so I applied, and I was like, yeah, it's fake. It's most likely fake. Like, whatever. Like, the worst to come, I get nothing. <laughs> and they emailed me a month later and they were like congratulations and it was an official Nike email and they oh were like you got selected like to design your Nike sneaker and I was like it was 11 p.m on the train I missed my yeah. stop I was screaming I was like holy shit yeah I'm designing my own sneaker wow like I I still remember like that feeling I felt like literally on top of the world I was like no way am I 21 and I'm already designing a sneaker for Nike like all I did was speak it into existence yeah. and and manifested it and um then yeah. I got the yeah. opportunity and so the difficult part 
is that Nike is Nike, of course. And Nike has awesome things, but Nike also doesn't have awesome things. And so they were pretty complicated to work with. Like, I didn't get to choose the sneaker. Um, they gave me the sneaker on a blank canvas. And then they gave me, like, seven or eight colors. Does, and then they were like, take, take these colors that we selected for you and tell your story out of it. And I'm like, but I don't even want to yeah. use any of these colors. Like, yeah. like I was like, what does that I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like, this is not what I want. And, I'm, and it's funny because I, for a month, like, was sketching, thinking of different yeah. patterns that I wanted. Like, I'm it like, was oh, I'm going to be 3M. No. And, and they're like, no, like, you have these six colors. Like, choose. Choose, like, a consistent, like, set and like work with it yeah. <laughs> I was like I had so many breakdowns and um I would like make one send it to my partner I'm like what do you think and I would mm-hmm. just keep doing it back and forth back and forth just to get input because I because I felt hopeless um I felt like I couldn't do much with yeah it. yeah and he he really helped me like get myself to think outside the box and be like okay let me work with what I have. That's what creatives do. We create That's something true. out of nothing. Like, and, and, and let me like recharge, refresh my whole thinking and get myself in a whole better like mood and, and, and mental state so that I can move forward. And I was like, boom, these colors represent this to me. This represents this. And I was able to literally pull my whole story. I do not even know how through the colors that they gave me and thank god it was a success what issues are like I think I saw you make a video of like the specific colors and like the specific parts of the shoe um but yeah can you tell us what issues did you like focus on yeah um so the sneaker itself is called save nyc and I highlight seven different like issues that are happening in my community and so the first one um, on the Nike sneaker, the blue swoosh that's like squiggly, that represents the Boricua, the Puerto Rican diaspora, um, and Hurricane Maria, and how Hurricane Maria was a whole storm that got the youth of Puerto Rico to remove our governor and align um, in 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 building change, mm-hmm. and so that is like a, a specific. Con- contribution um to Puerto Rico because Puerto because side note Nike comes out with a Puerto Rico sneaker almost every year almost every year and they fail every single year so I'm like you know what let let me just throw a little seasoning a little saison onto my sneaker because they weren't doing it the next um that I highlight is gentrification um and that's like on the tongue so it's a light orange because it reminds me of the brownstones and in Brooklyn and like when golden hour hits the brownstones it was just such a Brooklyn vibe but those Mm -hmm. were all black and brown owned brownstones that are now gentrified and belong to white people and then I have on the toe and on the heel it's black so it's youth of color leading the forefront to change and supporting it from the ground up 
And then we have the soul that represents climate change, which is like a whole blue mm-hmm. and um, green. And then we have um, on the tongue is the Statue of Liberty like logo. And so not only does it represent New York City, but I saw it, two things reminded me of it. One, the Young Lords, who I mentioned, were like the Black, the Puerto Rican mm-hmm. Black Panthers of New York. In 1970, they climbed the Statue of Liberty and they hung the Puerto Rican flag huge on top of the Statue of Liberty in the call for like justice um, on the island. Yes. And that was such an iconic yeah. moment in history. When I saw that, I was like slapping on my shoe. Um, but then also I'm like, duh, women's empowerment. Um, the Statue of Liberty is a woman and we literally are change makers. We are leaders. We are the everything of this world. <laughs> we are, we are yes. the foundation of this world. The world would not exist without women. So yep. I, ha- I had to pay my contribution to, to women, period. Um, and then last but not least, we have school segregation. Um, and so on like where the laces are, there are going to be like six eyelets um, and right. the six eyelets are black. And so they're all separated because they represent school districts that are all segregated, but mm-hmm. through community ties, which are the green laces that represent energy, so um, how we can, <laughs> it's how we can integrate um, a school, yeah. um, a school, a school community. and. And oh, and then the last one, because there's seven, is now the overall of the shoe. Um, the whole body looks like a monarch butterfly, and the monarch butterfly represents immigration. Yeah. Being that both of my parents are immigrants. Yeah, that's beautiful, Amon. Oh my god, like how you connected everything and made that into like this one creative piece. Amazing, like and so inspired. I love Thank this. You. Um, and you mentioned segregation. Now I want to discuss because you're a founding member of Integrate NYC. And can you discuss like what's the purpose and mission of Integrate? Yeah. Um, so Integrate NYC's purpose is to um, redesign a solution to integrating and desegregating New York City schools. And it's by the youth for the youth. Um, and so we're a youth led organization, which is extremely unprecedented because most organizations are adult run. Um, And we're really unique being that even like our um, leadership board probably has four or five adults and like 30, not not 30, but maybe like 20, like 20 young people Mm -hmm. um, ranging from middle school to college. So it really could be 30, <laughs> but now that I'm thinking about it, but, but we're a huge team. Like we're such a huge team because we started off as four students and one adult. And now we're this, yeah. we're this whole team that, that holds youth councils with over 300 students from the city monthly. Um, and we hold workshops in different schools, um, educating about segregation. So most people don't know that New York City has the most largest public school system in the United States and the most segregated public school system in the United States. And that's so crazy to think because 
we're probably the most diverse yeah. city in the United States. That's like States. one of the least things, you know, you would expect from New York City. Yeah. Right. People are like, what are you talking about? New York is segregated. You guys have everybody there. Right. And, and it's like, yeah, we do, but our schools don't. Why it, overlooked. It's, yeah. It's definitely overlooked and normalized where I've spoken to so many students that have taken different paths in, in our public school setting. And so it makes sense why it's so overlooked. I overlooked it at a, at a certain time in my life too. And it wasn't until high school where I was like, whoa, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is not it. Why are, why are my friends going to that school, but all these white kids are in this school? Mm-hmm. Um, why, are, why are these students getting a better education and these students aren't? Why are these students walking through metal detectors and these students aren't? Like, there are so many different things that are going into our school. Even, why does the school have a softball team and this one doesn't? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, things like that. Like, it's insane how most of the time it ties to race. And, and that's, where, that's where we bring back segregation. People feel like segregation was just when it was, like, black and white, Jim Crow, and that's it. Like, everything was good after that like no we haven't made that much yeah progress. we haven't made yeah like, there's still so much work that needs to be done y'all there's literally beyond much work and so we were like we need to do something about this um and so we developed a 5r platform that is basically that describes the ways that we are segregated Mm-hmm. but the way that we can be integrated if all five of them work simultaneously. And so, for example, you cannot have a school that has sports teams but only has white kids. You can't have a school that has sports teams and APs but all these kids walk through metal detectors. Mm. And, like, they're, like, so then it's, like, that's why we're, like, we have these five R's. And all five of them need to be working in order for this space to be integrated. And so the first would be race and enrollment. Um, and so monitoring that, even looking into like admissions processes. Do you need a portfolio? Do you need an audition? Like, do you need SAT scores? Like, what, what are the requirements or the screens for you to go into this school or this program? Um, and how that correlates with race and socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. And then um, the next one is resource allocation. And so that goes from the amount of sports teams in your school to the quality of lunch being served in your school to the type of textbooks and technology you're given. Do you have music and arts programs? Um, do you have a guidance counselor and a college advisor and a nurse? Like, <laughs> yeah, there are so many things that go into it. Yeah, like little things like that I don't think about while I'm in school, you know, and yet yeah, once you look at it in a broader perspective, like, wow, like so many things are being missed. Yeah. yeah, and even like resources and does your, ba- does the bathroom in your school function? Do you have toilet mm-hmm. paper? Do the sinks work? Yeah. Do you have windows in your, in your classroom? Like, this all goes into resources um, exactly. and how and how a student learns and engages in that setting. Because you're not going to go and put a, a kid with the whole building as windows and then another kid in, in a building with no windows that it feels like a jail cell. And then you expect them to to perform the same way. Like, 
like definitely yeah. not and so that's resources um which is also like ap classes yeah. sat tutoring all that um and then comes relationships across group identities and so it's broken up and we broke it up into two and so relationships across group identities is first the actual relationships that are being made in the school and so student to student relationships student mm-hmm. to teacher relationships student to principal relationship how many students even talk to their principal or vice versa yeah. like <laughs> um even student to public safety like do they have a healthy relationship with public safety or is it really toxic and so look in looking at all of the relationships in the school even with with students of different races and different backgrounds yeah um and then so that's one part and then the second part is relationships being seen in um culturally responsive curriculum and so do our curriculums represent our stories represent mm-hmm. our experiences no, yeah. is, it, is it relevant to us yeah like um the books like the literature that we're given are they written by people of color like um even and like the often example that I give is like even just being innovative with teaching my I had a teacher in high school that was like all of you get into groups I'm giving you all different Beyonce lyrics and I want you to look at the lyrics and describe to me how she is representing feminism and if you think she is and if you think she isn't that's your that's your own opinion and I was like wow how interesting like yeah like wow how relevant I know like a lot of these Beyonce yeah. songs like, I wish more I teachers did that yeah like kind of integrating like pop culture and things like that and because sometimes I feel like especially older white teachers are like disconnect so I guess yeah <laughs> so yeah exactly yeah it's just about being cultured and being like up with the program that, that's right. the only way to to be with youth you're, otherwise exactly. you're, you're gonna lose them and so that's that's where relationships comes in the fourth restorative justice um and so focusing on the school to prison pipeline a really huge statistic that stuck with me is that new york city serves 1.1 million students out of 1.1 million students, roughly 31% of them identify as Black. Out of roughly 31%, over 50% of them were suspended from school in 2018-2019. Then you look at white kids that make up only 15% of that 1.1 million students, and they're also suspended the least. And it's like, sir there's an issue here like (laughs) um and so and so even in terms of like looking at restorative practices like um and seeing how can we not push our students out of school how can we keep them in school changing suspensions are suspensions actually like worth it do they benefit students does metal detectors benefit students like does a lot of those like crazy like for example like metal detectors like those resources you don't need that and it could be put to like other more beneficial like better resources um new york city currently employs 500 over 500,000 nypd school safety officers and they employ like less than 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 3,000 guidance counselors and social workers I follow this um, public school teacher. Um, she's based in LA and she shared this like story once where LAPD is getting more 
like they're paid more in comparison to public high school teachers. And I'm like, y'all make it make sense. <laughs> I mean, really make it make sense because it's not, it's really yeah. not. And so this is where we start. So this is restorative justice. Um, and then the last one is representation among teachers and staff. And so do we see ourselves and our teachers mm-hmm. in our principals in in everybody like is are the people of color only the lunch ladies and the janitors or are they our teachers and our mentors and the people we learn from um and so really like changing that narrative something really interesting was that I read that like over 400 schools in New York City have zero to one Asian teachers I've noticed that too like in like, I mean, here, like, for example, even in college right now, I think during my past two years, I think I just had one Asian teacher. And I was like, what's going on? Like, I, I've like become so much more aware of that. I was like, dang, like, all throughout my two years here, I just had like one Asian teacher. And I'm like, South Asian teacher. Wow. Yeah. And, and then even they're not like, they're South Asian. So they're not even Pacific Asian yep. that, that you can somehow like relate even closer. Right. Like, yeah I know I know that feeling is okay now I want to discuss um because besides integrate you're also doing things like you mentioned with global girlhood and period the period chapter in New York City so like can you um I think you kind of mentioned this too early but how did you get like involved with these um organizations um interesting enough is that the founding member of global girlhood Pranjal I had met her before Global Girlhood was like out. Um, and I met her at an event I attended last year. And it was this like women's, em- like like youth women um, empowering event. And she was there and, and we took each other's Instagram and we always stayed connected. And, and we, I guess it was mutual that we were inspired by each other. Yeah. And um, she like posted that she needed somebody that was interested in doing like social media work and Mm -hmm. I was like oh I am and she was like yes 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 I already know you let's meet up like like I'm set I love your social media like let's do this um and then that's when we met well we like got together for global girlhood at the end of December 2019 yeah and then we took it off from there (laughs) and then with period um I was just on Instagram um and I don't know how it came on my feed but I saw that it was like national period day like national period day was coming up and I was like this is a thing like I was glad that happened last year I was like yes this amazing movement like yes um and it was like trending on Twitter and yeah it was trending I found it on Instagram it was trending and I was like no way is this a thing I thought I had been missing out the whole time like I thought it's been a thing turns out no I I I wasn't that late into the game Mm -hmm. but um I I just followed them and I became inspired with their work because again I bring it back to identity like growing up as a Muslim Arab woman like period conversations are so taboo and seen as so like dirty and like just always just always have such a negative connotation 
Um, and I was like, wow, like, this is really some gangster power to be like, yeah, yeah. I'm a menstruator and like, I'm a boss. <laughs> and, exactly. Like, I just felt so empowered to be a woman and so empowered to be a menstruator. And I was just like, yes, I'm here for this. I'm here to end the stigma. I'm here to end the taboo. I'm so tired of it. Like, even just talking about it with regular boys. They yeah, have, it's crazy like, that it's already 2020 and, like, it's still taboo. People are still shy away talking about it. Yeah, people don't. They're like, why are you talking about this? People are, people need to wake up. Yeah. Because and I'm like, your your mothers were all menstruators, exactly. so relax. <laughs> and so how do you think, like, why do you think it's important for girls or, like, women of color to be, like, involved in, like, activism or organizing? Because we need to be the voice for ourselves. We can't rely on on others to be the voice for us. We can't rely on change to this happen, on the next president, on the next election. Mm. Like, I feel like that's what a lot of people rely on. It's like, yeah. that's not that's that's not what it is. Like, if, if people really knew, the president only has so much influence over a direct city. And you right. can make change within your direct city. Don't worry about what the entire country is going through. Worry about what y'all are going through. Like, yeah. first, yeah. worry about what you're going through first, and then let's focus on on helping everybody else. But I feel like communities cannot go in and try to be saviors of everybody until they fix themselves first. Um, that way, once once they are strong and on the road to go, then they're able to uplift and help strengthen everybody else because they're already giving their 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I bring it back to giving your 100% versus giving 30%. It's all about really taking charge and, and, and being intentional. Yeah. And so I think it's so important and so crucial for every woman of color and and young person to just use their voice because we can't rely on anybody to do that for us anymore yeah I feel like especially when Bernie suspended his campaign I was like oh my god like I I want this future like really wish that this was gonna happen like this progressive change but then like I realized that um I can't just rely on electoral um politics you know and I need to see and like do take action and focus on my community first and see like what I can do um instead of I mean it is important politics is important but it shouldn't be like the only thing that keeps me going you know to do the work right and it's like it's not like I'm saying like don't like vote don't be engaged in like your like local politics or even national politics like for sure be involved in that like take action that is also an exercise of your voice um but do it locally as well Mm -hmm. um it's just as important or even most times more important yep and bernie is actually and it's some it's great that you mentioned bernie because i forgot to bernie was really one of the influences i had that made me feel like my voice mattered um, and I attended his rallies in 2016. That's when I was first able to vote. And I was so excited. I went and have seen him so many times. And the Bernie rallies are incredible because you see everybody from everywhere. 
like I saw black Jews and like Asian women with hijab Mm -hmm. like like things like that or would not be considered your norm um all uniting hugging each other talking with each other like I was just like what is this beautiful melting yeah I love his yeah I love his um what is it like we're fighting for someone we don't know you know like his campaign like kind of slogan yes yes it. Mm -hmm. it was so beautiful because it just really showed the power of people um and how like the ambiance was so powerful that it gave you chills. Yeah. Bernie didn't even need to be there yet. Like, it was just the people mm-hmm. waiting. Like, just waiting. You already know, wow, this is so transformative. Like, this is this is what change looks like mm-hmm. and feels like. And that's the closest, like, I've probably ever felt that way. Yeah. It was at Bernie rallies, but... It's about us continuing the work that that he really put out there and set an example for. It's in our hands. And he always said that young people are the voice to change. Um, and we just yeah. we just got to take charge. To wrap up, now that you kind of like you mentioned, kind of connects with that too. Like to wrap up this episode, my last question would be, what kind of future do you want to see in America? I want to see an America of justice, an America of equity, of respect, and of love. I feel like those are really the four things I would put out there. And I really like would emphasize on the love because when we love each other, we'll be able to understand. Loving is sometimes like really hard, but I feel like loving in terms of communities is much more simpler. Um, and, and just building communities. I really want to see much more like tied communities. I feel like so many communities are spread out and lost and don't have the support that they need um, and are like being in miscommunication. And I want to change all that. I want a world where we're all functioning at the same level, where like we're all given um, an equitable slate and not an equal slate, but an equitable yeah. slate and like emphasizing equity so an equitable and just america i love that well i'm really really hoping that we really challenge the status quo and reform the systems and honestly just make progressive change like honestly there's still so much work that needs to be done here yeah work doesn't stop um yeah thank you so much iman for being on the podcast this was such a great conversation I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. I had so much fun. And that was today's episode with Iman Abdul. Thank you so much for listening. I know this episode was a long one. So if you got to this part, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate you for listening to today's episode. Be sure to follow Iman and her work at Integrate NYC, Global Girlhood, and Period. If you didn't know, Off She Goes is also on Instagram. That's at Off She Goes Podcast, so be sure to follow. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it as well if you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And yeah, thank you so much again for listening. And I hope you have an amazing day and week ahead, and I'll chat with you next Wednesday. Bye.